How's it going? Oh, good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, actually. I just got off my bike ride through the woods, and so I'm a little stuffy from the pollen, but uh, oh. but I'm riding the natural uh, endorphin of doing something mm-hmm. that doesn't sitting on my couch. So Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah I'm living... I need to get my bike fixed. I'm, I'm feeling the same way. I, I really need to like do some fucking move, moving and stuff. I've been going on like walks every, like, every now and then, but like maybe every other day or try to go every day. But you got to do something sloth, more substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It drove me nuts how the British say that word sloth. They say sloth. <laughs> My advice, if you're going to re uh, if you're going to reintroduce yourself to the world of bike riding, is invest in a decent helmet. Because one thing I've noticed about traffic since this whole COVID thing is, is hmm. that there's less of it, but the drivers who are driving seem to be driving with a certain type of reckless abandon. That while on the one hand I can applaud and understand, on the other hand, as a cyclist, I got to be kind of a little more concerned about. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh- one of the funny things I saw when I moved down here early on was this, uh, a car, a minivan or something, you know, it's like a kind of typical silver minivan and it had one bumper sticker only on it. And it was, uh, it was just uh, like a circle with like a slash through it that had bikes in it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so they, yeah, they really don't like bikes down here. There's really nowhere to like ride, you know, like they don't make it. Um, I mean, I'm, really I'm <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a, it's a city built by cars, but imagine if you did that with, like, the symbol for a child crossing the street. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Not going to happen, I, motherfucker. <laughs> you, I want to go around. Go on. Yeah. See what I <laughs> Fucking try. Try me. I swear <laughs> to God, I would breeze through a fucking elementary school crosswalk like you've never seen, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So... It is t- today. We are recording on July thirtieth, two thousand and twenty, and I just read the news about how um, Congress has yet to even take a shot at extending unemployment benefits, uh, the pandemic benefits, which apparently something to the tune of tune of like uh, I think it's ninety. I, I might get the percentages wrong, but a, a, a plurality of people, a majority of people. Um, yeah. re- See their benefits drop by like ninety three percent or something if this doesn't continue. Yeah, so that's so. Are they? This is for the continuation of the um, addition to unemployment you're talking about, right? Yeah, the pandemic assistance. Correct. Gotcha. Okay, because like, I, and then what happened to what they were talking about having another stimulus potentially? Last yeah, week? yeah, they're talking about maybe writing another Donny check. Right. It seems like they want to. Seems like you know they want to go that route as opposed to, yeah, continuing the UI. So they just did they just literally just bag it as of what you just found out, basically. It's a developing story, but uh, uh-huh. as of what I read just now, they Congress Congress has been fucking off lately because they're also today voting against uh, AOC's um, bill to prevent uh, the military to recruit through Twitch. And 103 Democrats joined Republicans to put the kibosh on that and squash it. Um, wow. And Yeah. Because wow. they're like, this is the best re- recruiting tool we've got. <laughs> well, yeah. How are you going to do it when the schools are, are closed? How else right. are you going to do it? Um, and we need to get, you know, clearly we need to keep 
building our military because uh, yeah, we, we got more wars to fight, right? We haven't killed enough people yet, but um, so yeah, there's that. But yeah, so uh, it, it's a developing story. But from what I've seen, they haven't. They just kind of put their hands in the air and said, "Well, I guess we don't have an answer right now." The Republicans say two hundred dollars. Well, wait, I guess we don't have a counter offer. So wow, wow, and. Uh, <laughs> The other item I wanted to mention was two prominent maskless conservative politicians have died this week <laughs> of the COVID uh, infections that they received. Uh, to just today, we lost Herman Cain, the mm-hmm. founder of Godfather's Pizza. I think he was the founder. <laughs> and that's, that's uh, like one of the headlines I saw too is like the first thing it says for him. It's like what? What? Is, okay. Yeah. What he was known for for most of his life, and mm-hmm. and uh, so the joke that's been going around on Twitter, the two ones are one of them is Trump actually tweeted something about a, another type of pizza today before I guess he found out about Herman Cain dying. <laughs> so the oh, final day for Herman Cain is that is that he it's an inferior, a different type of pizza gets tweeted about on the day of his death. Um, and he, and there's a report that maybe he, or there's the idea that maybe he could have caught the coronavirus from Trump's Tulsa rally because he went there without a mask. Oh, fuck. Now, (laughs) I guess two weeks later he was diagnosed and then now he's dead. And then, um, so there was that. And then Trump had the bizarre tweet where he was memorializing him. And he said, when I first heard the news, I got off and then dot, dot, dot. And then wrote another tweet. So for the minutes that it took for him to write the next tweet, people were just like, oh, you jacked off when Herman Cain died. That's a spectacular way to remember somebody, you know? Great. That probably hasn't happened since Farrah Fawcett died, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) One last wank, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, to that that poster of hers or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other one who died was uh, Bill Montgomery, who was the young up-and-coming 80-year-old wonder kid who founded with Charlie Kirk the Turning Point USA, which unleashed Charlie Kirk onto the American consciousness. And just last week, Kirk was doing some dreadful old money Koch brothers (laughs) propaganda podcast or something where he was like, I'm not wearing the mask. I can't wear the mask. And I, and I don't, and, and, and then his gums are too big. His gums are too big. He's, he's got his, his just, the proportions are way out of whack. All right. (laughs) You can't wear a mask. Okay. Although it would help him though. Cause his, he does look like something is congenitally wrong with him. And if you covered that up, he'd probably be an all right looking guy. uh, Dude, totally. If I was that ugly, I'd wear a mask. I'd be like Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) So, there is the very distinct possibility that one of the younger kids that um, this old guard of Koch brothers, Bill Montgomery types have been like vampirically attaching themselves onto to push like the worst kind of economic policies on the rest of the world and country. Uh, mm-hmm. One of these kids may have given them <laughs> Corona. Could have just. Wow. What? So the irony is rich there. I'm not celebrating the, well, whatever I, I try to practicing this, that, and the other, but I'm not celebrating it, but I am actually laughing about it. So I'm not going to pretend like I'm not. Right. No, um, totally. There's, there's a definitely a deep irony there. Yeah. Or, uh, so, yeah. Uh, and then I had one more little direction I wanted to go with this to 
that kind of brings up the theme of today's episode. And then I think you'll, you'll be doing a lot of the explanation for this, because this is definitely something that's more in your angle uh, on your side of the, the tennis court. But uh, I was thinking today on the way back from my ride, because I wear the mask while I ride the bike, which can be okay. troubling. You're going uphill yeah. and stuff. But I've got a lightweight mask that's got like a couple layers and I have it so I can pinch it down too and, and pull my face out if I'm, if there's no one around, you know, and I can just breathe the free air, but yeah, it's that big a deal. It's like really doesn't strike me as a huge problem. I don't live in a particularly hot place though, but um, I was thinking that the anti-max protest mask protesters, right? Mm-hmm. This might be one of the only things where, doing it, it's it's like it's it's the protest is strictly performative and more than useless because as far as not, are, yeah not wearing the mask yeah right because yeah. like no, go on though it, yeah it's literally a performance the whole thing is like get out your fucking cell phone i mean there's been all these videos of like guys aggress- there's that one with the guy in the like costco or something where he's screaming in the other guy's face i'm feeling threatened and like, but that's like the kind of thing that you say to like justify use of, you know, deadly force or something. Right. And it's like, dude, you might be using deadly force on this guy by screaming in his face. It's like, <laughs> it's like, this is like performative violence that might actually have a real violent side to it. Whereas like simply putting a mask on rather than being like a sign of like acceptance of just the government muzzling you because the government wasn't even telling you to do it for the most part, the fucking right wing government. I mean, that switched back and forth to the very beginning, yeah. right? Yeah. So they turned into a culture war thing. And it's like mm-hmm. you're not just you're not just obedient. It's not like fucking I will choose free will is playing in your head every time you leave the house without a mask on. And if it is, you're a fucking dork. It's like the mask mm-hmm. literally is something that in you know in in developing in third world countries in the past stopped pandemics, you know, stopped people from dying. Like and it seems to be stopping the flow in this particular pandemic in other countries. Yeah. <clears throat> so it, there seems to be something. It's certainly. Uh, per- <sighs> Go on. The, perf- the performativity, I guess, is what I was yeah, going to say. I mean, it's definitely hugely performative. I mean, which is part of kind of part, I think of a, a growing and like a long growing kind of thing where, you know, I've, seen this development with like QAnon and similar things where it's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, typing all these people up into a kind of a fury, mm-hmm. but a lot of what they're like, they, they find themselves like on the opposing side of what you would think that it would be for, you know, as far as kind of being like, okay, I'm a Christian militia type, but you're calling for, you know, the government to come in and you know martial law the place so they can get rid of the antifa protesters mm-hmm. you know oh and then so there's something i guess that actually just came up when this my friend brought to me attention to me uh is that you know like I, i'm on bundy yeah yeah he came out as a it's such a right. weird name but yeah <laughs> yeah he's yeah totally i feel like it's a it sounds like some occult occultist or something um right. uh but yeah he came out in support of blm right so i mean and that's I guess to show that there's, I mean, people are I kind of it probably looking Amon, at it both ways. Amon mm-hmm. Bundy sounds like a uh, Krautrock band from the 70s. It also <laughs> <a> album. <laughs> Wait, what was the last part you said? 
and then also did a country album. Yes, like yes, yes. But no, yeah, they went from like 30 minute jams to space jams to country. Yeah, mm. some twang. Yeah, which they, you know, maybe <laughs> God knows we live in such, you know, uh, broken up and, and uh, uh, atomized music. There, there could be a, a small group. It could be cool. There's going to be a resurgence. But, um, but no, but, uh, but I mean, the, the QAnon, I feel like they're all, they've all been gotten, like, they've all gotten wrapped up into these really performative displays of you know yeah protesting quote-unquote or whatever basically and basically it's amounted to a kind of form of just like self-doxing and like not even doxing necessarily but you know they're kind of like just putting themselves out there and then they're gonna get like caught you know or in a sense because they're like they are abusing the system in a weird way or they're like they're just or like the thing with twitter you know when they all got kicked off like we talked about in terms of it's like no you guys are brigading people like it's it's yeah that does just go against the rules of twitter like if any group was to do that they would all probably get kicked off and you just have to be like a kind of such a psyoped religious kind of like weird cult group that you know like and so i feel like I feel like it's a similar thing where it's almost like, okay, like you trick these people into one, either like killing themselves or like, first of all, giving their guns up in some weird way or like getting a gun, but then becoming like the first target because they're the first person who's like announced it to the world of like, I went to the fucking gun store right when quarantine happened and I just loaded up on every fucking gun now. And it's like, okay, cool. So like FBI knows that or whatever now about you, you're like, you're just like posting about like your, you know, you're like, you're like, you're, you're a, you're a liability basically. And then, uh, and then these, and I mean, with like this thing, it's just like you guys are all gonna like potentially just get COVID because you're just being idiots. And so it's kind imagine, of a weird uh, process it, of weeding out. Yeah, imagine calling yourself a survivalist and then not wanting to wear a mask during a pandemic. Exactly. And, like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, oh no, no, when I said survivalist, I meant I wanted to go into the inner city and shoot dark people with my yeah, AR-15. Exactly. Um, and kind of to return to what you were saying, because I did cut you off, I apologize, but the Beyond thing, Ammon Bundy came out and said that he supported BLM and he was doing it during some kind of a stream and you could see all of his supporters just be like, what the fuck in like real yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what's happening now is you it, before it was like, if some company said anything mildly critical of President Trump, a bunch of his like raving fucking fans would go purchase things from that company and then make videos of themselves burning them or shitting on them or something. Right. Right. Now it's literally just like, Oh, well, someone who doesn't like Trump or who Trump doesn't like is, is telling me to wear a mask. Well, I don't need to wear a mask. So instead of you're literally just saying I can die of this thing. Mm-hmm. And which I'm sure, cause they don't really have a, I don't think it's a bravery thing as much as it is a stupidity thing, because I bet a lot of people, when they're hooked up to that ventilator and God forbid that happens to anybody, you know, I don't want that to happen particularly people I care about, but I bet they're hooked up to that thing. And I bet they have some moments of like maybe the closest thing they ever had to self-reflection at at those really dark moments when you're just listening to the beeping of the hospital sounds and you can't even see your family, you know, It made me no, think it doesn't a seem worth it the cost yeah the cost and bit it's like just put the mask on like yeah i mean and then it's and then it gets spun out into new conspiracy theories of a doctor tells you that actually wearing a mask is like bad and you know it's against osha i remember watching some video it was like some guy with a little like you know you know reader and he's like testing the oxygen levels and all this shit and like, look yeah, there's you know proof you, would- you know and it's like well it's like dude 
he was putting uh what was it like a co2 sensor or something it and testing his exhale in the mask <laughs> right but what you need to do is you need to test what your blood oxygenation is because that's how you mm-hmm. can really tell if, if you know of course there might be a concentration of whatever you exhale in the mask but right it, it what matters is how much like oxygen is in your blood and if it if it's like 9900% which like medical professionals will tell you that's what it's going to be if you're a normal healthy person you put this thing on you know there's that thing the long distance runner with uh, asthma that wore a mask because of pollen like 2011 and won this marathon wow. <laughs> it's just like yeah he did it just fine you know and he has yeah. asthma um <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, I can ride my bike on a really, I don't do long rides all the time, but I do really fast rides a lot and I get really going and good, mm-hmm. like, you know, and if I can do that with a mask on, I feel like most people just piddling around in the fucking, <laughs> going by fried chicken in the fucking, you know, gas station yeah. or what, can do that. Totally. They're just like pissed off that they got bad breath or whatever. It's like, what the fuck yeah, is I, smell? I, I mean, yeah, dude, I wouldn't want to smell my breath all the time if I were <laughs> Some people are gross and that's just how it is. But what I was saying is what this has made me think about something that it's a topic. It's a word that gets used an awful lot, but it's a word that has had a lot of definition changes. I feel like since it was being discussed by probably its most famous um, uh, utilizer of the term Nietzsche. And that's, this word is nihilism. I wonder if we have spent maybe this episode talking about nihilism, we can come to some decisions about how much maybe nihilism is informing the current pandemonium and madness that's happening in as a, as, as a, as a direct result of this, this current crisis or series of crises. Yeah, no, I think that, um, I think that that's kind of at the root of it. I think that, yeah, I mean, like like you said, Nietzsche is like kind of the the main one. Besides, I think there's also a guy prior to Nietzsche, Jacobi, I think. I have not read, like really read any of his stuff, though. Mm-hmm. But he was like also kind of diagnosing nihilism. But um, but yeah, I would say Nietzsche kind of was the first to kind of treat it in this kind of a psychological and, you know, deep way. Um, this inherited problem, you know, basically kind of meaninglessness and whatnot. Um, and like you say, it has all these different kind of connotations and like, I'm a nihilist and nothing, nothing means anything or, or, right. is it, and- or is it more nuanced? And is it like, oh, as everybody kind of, kind of a nihilist and like, that's like the, that's what you're actually trying to fight against is like your own, you know, uh, ability to just kind of fall into the trap of being, being nihilistic basically. Sure. Which, which from what I understand is maybe more of Nietzsche's, it- relationship with it but i wanted to talk to you about it because you have read about this more you have a degree in this and i yeah, wanted just to an start... undergrad degree though but yeah well oh, that's better than my, what i got man and and uh that's uh um yeah ha- uh, degrees from hamburger university don't really go very far <laughs> discussing uh, any kind of um philosophical dialectic but what i wanted to do was uh Basically, I, w- I want to start with Nietzsche because Nietzsche is, I think, the at least the lodestone for where our American culture first begins to understand nihilism and how it starts to trickle down into the consciousness of the successive generations. So, w- what I want to start with was, what do you think Nietzsche's relationship with nihilism was? Um, 
I think it was like a, a problem that was really close to home for, for him or whatever. And that like, I think a lot of people read Nietzsche as uh, talking from a position of being like having some kind of distance to what he's talking about, but I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, he's, he says pretty explicitly a couple of times, you know, like I am a decadent and a decadent to him is right. Like someone who's like this de- decayed kind of sickly, sp- sickly in spirit kind of, and, and in body. I mean, he's very into like the, the body as a, you know, returning to the body, its importance and effects. Like, for example, he says all the prejudices are from the intestines and stuff like that, you know, but, um, but no, that it's like, yeah, he has something that he, you know, is afflicted by, so to speak, you know, but that like he tries to fight against in some kind of way and tries to write re, re, uh, you know, his whole reinterpretation of values or the revaluation of all values kind of thing. And I mean, a good idea or good uh, starting spot kind of is his idea that basically like nihilism is like the result of, as far as a historical process, I mean, he goes into depth in it in our will to power where he's talking about, you know, nihilism and, you know, specifically European nihilism kind of, but in general, just kind of this inherited, um, uh, what he, how he refers to it is that the highest values devaluate themselves. And uh, so an example of that basically is kind of, um, you know, an early in like Renaissance science or early scientists, you know, they think that in a sense what they're doing is in a line with, uh, you know, God's will, or, you know, they're coming to see, you know, God's work and uh, they don't see themselves as like necessarily anti-Christian, you know? And so this belief in truth with a capital T, basically God being the highest point of that and his, you know, goodness and everything. Um, so truth is like, you know, this, this this value that we hold and then as you go through the world and history and science and leads us down this trail of like we're, we're trying to find the truth wherever it may be we kind of find that oh well do we need god anymore as an explanation does it make sense anymore it doesn't seem to be like truthful anymore like it's hard to believe in god considering that you know for example there's evil in the world or considering that you know, there's this, you know, all that's, you get all of the different kind of versions of why it'd be atheistic about why it'd be agnostic that have pretty much existed ever since, you know, Greek philosophy and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of this idea that, you know, through our own values kind of propelling us through history and towards these directions that we wound up, we wind up like kind of, um, what's that cartoon? Wiley Coyote, where he's like running, 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 and he like runs off the cliff, and he's like, "Oh <laughs> shit, there's like nothing under me anymore," and he like falls, kind of a thing, you know. It's like, "Oh, there's no, there was no point for anything. Actually, all this was just like pointless. There is no God. There's no real meaning to my life. There's no real meaning to humanity, etc." So it's it's very it's very like a it's like a mass historical problem for Nietzsche, I'd say. Do you think Nietzsche would refer to himself as a nihilist or would he be more concerned with nihilistic behavior and diagnosing the way nihilistic thought informs the trajectory of politics and history? Um, I don't think he would call himself a nihilist because he's like, I mean, like, again, he's like, he, nihilism is like a condition of like, uh, like a you, your your relationship with your own belief is there's something a wrong you know wrong with your ability to act on your own beliefs or even have beliefs and um, so he's kind of like and he sees that as a weakness of will 
so it's kind of like you uh you are whether like physically emotionally spiritually kind of like weak and that you don't have this like ability to try to exceed yourself and overcome yourself basically you know, and all these kinds of heroic kind of stuff that Nietzsche talks about um I don't necessarily think it's it, it is even in it, it's like Nietzsche glorifies a, a process that is in a sense like kind of like I don't not necessarily pathetic but it's like it doesn't have to be this heroic process it could be very like simple like I think of Nietzsche just like getting better when he's had like a long bout of illness you know or whatever because he was like so ill all the time just getting better and like I've had this too where it's like you know when I have a hangover or something and the next day and like, your head's kind of like beating but once the hangover starts to kind of like release there's this like flood of endorphins and like you're like oh like oh wow like I feel kind of good but like bad also but but really good and like I, Nietzsche was constantly, I think, going through that experience just in his own life. And I feel like that's kind of what he's like referring to in terms of this kind of like, you know, get through your sickness, get through your illness kind of idea. Um, so he sees like nihilism as like a condition, you know, that we're kind of afflicted by. Um, yeah. So that, like, yeah. He's like interested in diagnosing the symptoms, you know, of that basically. One of the things that I think attracts people to Nietzsche, particularly people who are not really too well read in philosophy, is his grandiosity. The fact that he speaks in aphoristic language, he speaks in language that is sometimes deliberately misleading, but if you read it on surface level, it looks like a lot of pomp and circumstance. It looks like a lot of really powerful, grandiose statements. And I would, I would think that uh, that might be a byproduct of the fact that Nietzsche's life was actually quite a quiet life and was not a life that was known to exist with, for instance, a lot of uh, heroic valor. I know he had some army experience, but it was not particularly impressive. I know, as you mentioned, he was sickly a lot. I also know that as much as he spoke about the idea that the strong could subvert the weak and you could overcome you know, the, the trappings of a slave morality, he himself was described by his family members and contemporaries as actually a quiet, trustworthy, and very polite human being, somebody who you could trust to uphold the basic uphold, and then more, more, more than that, even the basic tenets of like a civilized society. So in a sense, I don't, would you agree that it seems like Nietzsche is somebody who like people in the modern internet age, very much lived within his own head. <laughs> yeah. And also develops like a mask. You know, he talks a lot about masks and, you know, uh, he's obviously not an anon or anonymous, but he's, you know, he puts on different faces and it, it's hard to tell sometimes like which, which one he is at this given moment or something kind of, which I think is kind of what contributes to that, like misunderstanding. And like you say, there's a lot of grandiosity and, yeah claims that are you know pretty outrageous and i feel like that's like i feel like he's knowingly performative in it um you know he talks again it's like his reading of nihilism is that like when these beliefs and these standpoints of positions of like kind of ideological positions or um so we kind of would call them now or something it's like they devolve into as it's, we talk about today, like LARPing, you know, everyone's just LARPing as a commie yeah. or LARPing as a trad calf or LARPing as yeah. just, you know, you could, you couldn't really be any of those things because we're all basically just like nihilistic, uh, neoliberally interpolated subjects who can't really get out of this confined, you know, 
thing but we would like right. to and but we can and he says you know it's, it's just evolves into like a form of play acting you know and that's basically the same same idea um right yeah. it's like it's like dude your name isn't count grishnok of burzum chad <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> or, or, yeah. or ricky or whatever it's like you know you you are uh you're just kind of a loser and we're all kind of losers because the scope of who can and cannot be a winner under the current worldwide social conditions yeah. by necessity creates such an uneven amount of successes that you, you just you you are just mostly surrounded by a sea of frustrated people who do not experience a, uh, that spark of recognition from the rest of the world which yeah. can be deeply frustrating particularly since we live in an age where we have unprecedented um, access to information which means that you can get a really topical understanding of the world around you and and form a topical worldview but feel power feel like very intelligent because of that but feel powerless to work on any of your desires as a result because as you mentioned we are interpolated basically like serfs of like neoliberal austerity and we've lived that way for our entire lives mm -hmm. and so with Nietzsche I would say it strikes me that um there what he maybe correctly recognized is that the um, Sturm und Drang and the, the, the power and, and the, the force and the glory of early Christianity didn't exist in the like pissy reform minded, modern chintzy European Christianity. And so he would often set it against something much more exciting like pan and early, early Greeks pre Socrates Greeks. Um, would you like to talk about that for a minute? Well, yeah, I mean, that definitely relates to kind of what we were talking about a couple episodes ago or whatever with the pandemonium and stuff. And uh, yeah, I was just reading some, like some, I think unpublished either fragments or whatever of his stuff recently too. And he was talking about how, I think it was a letter maybe at the end of his life where he said basically, you know, how he, you know, met Pan, you know, as a child kind of thing. And, you know, in this like metaphorical kind of poetic sense, yeah. but that like, you know, met Pan early on, you know, and like that, you know, he could just follow it to the flute kind of like thereafter. And, uh, and, uh, and then Pan, you know, becomes Dionysus or, or they go back and forth kind of, you know, in between each other in terms of mythologically. And then, you know, for Nietzsche, he, Dionysus becomes kind of the, his daemon or archetypal goal like guide or god you know that he's really uh modeling or using i would say as a as a mask again to kind of model a kind of thinking um yeah, I don't, i'm not even sure if it's like right to say if it's nietzsche's own thinking per se but it's it seems to be the one that is probably the most attached to what it is and uh and it speaks to that complicated I think that we all kind of have to some degree that kind of is contradictory instincts and drives and desires of on, on the one hand wanting um, to have some meaning in the world and like have some impact, blah, 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 you know, and then also like recognizing how pathetic you are and, you know, juggling that and weighing that kind of trying to figure out. And I think that, you know, Nietzsche was writing at a time that's not like now where, uh, there's, I don't know, there's, there's more charm even to just like the performativity and the kind of like outrageousness as opposed to now, you know, it's like more rare to find a charming poster or somebody who's going to be like outrageous and you're like, oh, this is cool though. At least it's, 
you know, it's, it's out, it's beyond the pale, but it's, uh, at least yeah. it's still okay. But, but now it's even more apparent. And like you were said, even earlier, as far as, um, you know, it's not really that you wanted to, you know, do anything. You just wanted to go in the city and like, you know, shoot, you know, black and brown people or whatever. Like a lot of these things the as nihilistic yeah. foils right. or like, yeah, yeah. But they're like, you know, these meaning structures and frameworks that kind of protect these people from nihilism or whatever. Um, it becomes more glaringly apparent, you know, when, when it's like that, or you see it on the internet where like these like esoteric, like trying to re-mythologize, re-enchant the world by reading a bunch of like, you know, alchemy and symbology. And I find that stuff interesting, but more so as like just fodder that the world's spewed out, not as like some ancient thing that is going to like contain truth and all this stuff in it. And uh, it's, it just becomes this way to kind of protect yourself from, the the tide of nihilism or the the real the, the reality in the sense of this kind of like hegelian or fukuyama or whatever like end of history uh kind of sense to the air although we're all right now we're obviously we're living in like tumultuous and strange times but right. we still have had that kind of just like like that which i mean what the end of history thing just kind of says or signals is like that well yeah because there's nothing really to do there's not really like much more meaning to put into the world uh, you know, we're kind of just nihilistic and, there's a, and it's kind of an acceptance with that almost, but um, in a yeah. good or bad way. And that's something I do feel like it has, um, you know, nihilism has a couple of different valences in that sense to uh, where Nietzsche would maybe identify himself with more like what, you know, Deleuze afterward kind of tried to call like active nihilism or this kind of idea that philosophical position of just being like, well, just, if you just take as your default mode that you know all inherited concepts and all ideas and all beliefs are necessarily false because there's just no such thing as having a true belief because all believing something is just based upon you know kind of blah 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 blah, blah. and there's no there's no real meat to the bones so if you just if you just r- like run your life like that he says that like in perhaps in that way that like nihilism is almost like a divine form of thinking and i'm not really sure exactly what he means by that but i've kind of taken it to mean in a sense where you can kind of become a creator, um, you know, in a sense. And this is, I mean, this is like the kind of cheap existential reading of Nietzsche though, right? Where it's like, yeah, you should, you make your own meaning, you know, yeah, get out there, both. become the overman. Yeah. Uh, and that's like Walter Kaufman as a translator brought that really into the sixties. And that's like, you know, because he translated, you know, Nietzsche and Sartre and all these different guys. And uh, that was, you know, that's kind of the existentialism stuff we inherited, but, I don't, I don't, I think that that's, that doesn't take it far enough. It doesn't complicate it enough because I don't like, it's not like you can just be like, oh yeah, Nietzsche's cool as a result or, or whatever, you know what I mean? But, but anyway, yeah. A, a thought that occurred to me during the beginning of what you were saying there, when you were talking about people taking up esoterica and esoteric ideas, but in sort of a new generation of doing that mm. and acting as though that's going to have a force on the world, which of course it isn't. It's actually just going to be annoyingly quaint and actually, uh, end up alienating and isolating somebody more so from the strictures of daily living in the modern society. And what I would say is that uh, if anything, what you want to take from the ancient world, what you'd want to take from the old uh, things that have come before you are the things that are resonant in today's society, not things that go against that not things that seem contrary to that, but things that actually go a great distance towards diagnosing the ills of current society, as opposed to just trying to say, 
hey, if we all put on funny Aleister Crawley hats and try to learn how to speak Enochian, um, we can make a demon come. And then, you know, that demon will let us have sex with our favorite porn star that we jack off to all day. Did you get us hexed there? I got us hexed. I don't know if, yeah. if, they, if this comes out in the final proofs, folks, but we got cut off midstream again. And this time it was because I was talking about losers learning how to speak Enochian. Um, <laughs> and, and, but I do want to – so that was the first half of what you're talking about. With the second half of what you were talking about, I wanted to segue to the next iteration of nihilism because what I want to do with this episode is talk about the development of nihilism in the Western, particularly American mindset. And so the next iteration is we've, we've launched, we've got a pretty good idea of the complexity. I think if nothing else, you've spelled out very eloquently the complexity of what Nietzsche's relationship to nihilism was. But when you mentioned Kaufman and the translations he did, that brings us perfectly into the mid-century and into the hippies and the, the, the Jim Morrison and the, yeah, the right. uh, I am the Lizard King. And I, so I think... The first real iteration of nihilism as a phenomenon in the American uh, imagination didn't come from Nietzsche, but it came from the, the certain bands, and, and that would be the Doors, who were the ones where he was saying explicit, he was explicitly discussing from very, very much a masturbatory uh, college age, like yeah. philo- philosophical background to the idea of we are musical nihilists, which brings us into the proto-punk of the Stooges and into punk music itself. Mm-hmm. And so, w- would you agree? No, that's, yeah. Go on. Oh, no, I was just, that's definitely an apt, I think, uh, diagnosis as far as like yeah, the inheritance and how culturally we really received nihilism as, it, as an inheritance for like a continental kind of inheritance. I mean, it's not to say that it wasn't there, but like, you know, like Emerson and early American philosophers, you know, they, they are aware of this idea, but it's like, it doesn't really seem to be the problem. Cause I mean, the whole idea of America is like, we're new. We don't, we don't, we don't have that baggage, yeah. you know, whereas Nietzsche is really like specifically talking about this, like this, you know, this, this inheritance, this European yeah. thing. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like, but then it's like, we get it back down the line in the in the like what I mean, this guy Jeff uh, Wait kind of refers to is this kind of you know Nietzschean as like video drome, uh, like Nietzschean is cyberspace kind of like uh, um, just more. It's not even corrupted. It's just like almost more realized in a sense because it's so uh, much more insidious and kind of like the uh, the heroic gestures are like ostentatious and, and bizarre but also somehow like more well received yeah. like you know like people liked it you know <laughs> people were like yeah well that's cool i want to be like that you well, know like if that whole kind of yeah there's a reason for that and yeah. the reason for that is because they were gestures and not thinking and writing because it's much easier right. to disseminate and 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 appreciate a gesture than it is to actually take the time to read something and try to 
diagnose and curate what somebody else was thinking on a topic, particularly when that person is dead and is a source of great um, uh, uh, dispute in the academic world. And okay, I also want to point out, I'm going to deliberately disregard talking about the uh, nihilistic and Nietzschean relationship with Nazism because I want to talk about America. But we're going to get to Nazism, just not right away. We're going to take the long road to internet neo-Nazism. <laughs> uh, so it, for anyone who's wondering yeah. why I just jumped over that, it's because I want to specifically talk about what's happening in American politics right now and the American uh, kind of uh, milieu. So yeah, it's, it's, it's way easier to see Sid Vicious jump up and down with a bunch of blood and scratches on him and think that looks really cool than it is to spend your night indoors alone reading, you know, Twilight of the Gods or whatever. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I mean, it's one of those things too, because like we said early on, like we don't want to beat up on boomers per se, because I think that there was a sense in their own experience that they're like, yeah, where you really are pushing against something. Sure. My parents and all the people older than me are looking at me like I'm a freak or whatever, you know? So they, there was a, a self-perceived sense of ostracization and yada, 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 but it's not too dissimilar to now. Also, I've seen some articles where people are like, well, yeah, my dad's the CEO of whatever, but I I'm didn't like that shit because I realized it was bad, Right. but it's like, okay, but you're acting for like, you're uh your position of privilege is like kind of, kind of uh, blurring your, your uh, ability to really be like a true ally to the working class. You know what I mean? In that sense, usually. Mm -hmm. and, and here's another thing I would like to point out. One thing that ha is almost basically universally in common with uh, the many different ways that the so-called nihilistic musical expression goes in from nine inch nails all the way back through the sex pistol to the doors. I'm talking about the ones that really captured people's imaginations, right? I'm not talking about Chrome or like more esoteric bands. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, they, because they like read it like a little bit more, you know, basically, right, Exactly. which big mistake for them. They could have been millionaires. F fucking idiot. Yeah, but right. uh, anyway, <laughs> so the, um, the, the, the one thing that I'm having in common with it, all these is that their music does nothing really to ameliorate the issues of the working class. It's not a class-based analysis other than maybe there's people who work a really shitty dead end job who feel really good driving away from their job, listening to nine inch nails or driving to their job, listening to it. But it's not like Trent Reznor out mm -hmm. there going like you all are fucking sheep because of the way this massively disenfranchising economic system turns us all into like transactional subjects of like modern feudal living. <laughs> you know yep yeah no absolutely um so i mean this is what you just remind me of there was so and this isn't the section if i'm gonna this uh in will to power and he's just talking like the ways of self-narcotization or like self-intoxication and it's like deep down not knowing whether emptiness attempt to get over it by intoxication intoxication has music intoxication has cruelty in the tragic enjoyment of the destruction of the noblest etc etc but it's that it's that uh that escape and that dionysian like revelry and you know destruction and revelry and that in that you know that's like yeah fuck i get to fucking break some shit right and, you know at the punk show but you gotta go back and you gotta fucking get a burger job in three years or whatever you know? right and so it seems like 
in some ways, like Kierkegaard, he had in common the idea that it was never enough to simply call yourself a Christian merely because you were born into that European tradition. If anything, that's one of the worst things you could do, one of the most spiritually defiling things you could do. But from what I can tell, it also seemed like Nietzsche was sort of like, you shouldn't, the last thing you want to do is intoxicate yourself and live life in a state of just complete, uh, you know, indulgence and, and dulled senses because you're not facing the world as a philosopher would, you're facing the world as maybe a coward would or somebody who is, you know, shielding yeah. themselves. And uh, it, it's funny that he would have that sort of perspective and then also keep referring to this Dionysian character, which seems to be the only character that Jim Morrison ever got from Nietzsche because he thought of himself as for sure with the Roman haircut and the, um, and the whole, you know, just blackout a drunk dying at 27 because of, Whatever combination of well, there's that great Neil Hamburger joke where he's like, you know, Neil Hamburger does the setup where he has pretends to just be a shitty like uh, cocktail act, you know, and he's like, what did the great <laughs> Jim Morrison, the, the dynamic lead singer of the doors, why did he die in the bathtub? And then there's just like this long pause and go, well, he had a heart attack from the strain of washing his balls. Just like, <laughs> stupid fucking joke but like with the point is like he just you know he bought him down in a paris bathtub or possibly nightclub and they put him yeah. in the bathtub because uh his whole thing was just excess and and insensitive in insensation in being insensate you know yeah yeah which no absolutely it seems like that would be closer to being a nihilist than someone who is correctly identifying the incumbent problems of nihilism <laughs> Definitely. Or at least kind of picking one of the easier escape routes or means of dealing with it. Like you say, you know, and this, you know, it's like a Reikian idea, like character armor, you know, in a sense, it's like you develop all these different ticks and personality traits that you kind of go to your immediate like knee jerk, like, well, if someone does that to me, I go, I do this kind of thing. You yeah. Know? Right. Yeah. It's uh... yeah, go ahead. Well, it's a call and response kind of nihilism. It's a nihilism that seems mm -hmm. to be built more upon uh, acting the fool, acting the character who is so damaged by his intellect that he must poison himself to turn off the constant uh, lighthouse beam mm -hmm. that's emanating out of his like beautifully perfect mind or whatever the fuck that's the yeah that's the perfect that's the, the self-image i guess right yeah, yeah. which mm -hmm. boy, would that Definitely. be fun to date as a young woman scene? <laughs> young human being or or you know that wouldn't that would guy or gal that wouldn't be fun to be on the receiving end of that level of self-regard um, no uh, okay so i want to move forward a little bit now because we've covered i think the origin then we've covered its spread amongst the pop music world. So it gets mm -hmm. on the radar. God is dead and no one cares. Uh, what was it? Nine Inch Nails song. God is dead. No one cares. Uh, something about when I go to hell, I'll see you. if I go to hell, I'll see you there or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So now I, that's, I mean, that's, that's just a real quick. Tidbit. I mean, it, that's like the funny, like in things like that, like it's the subtle reveal, right. Of the, like the the still ideological, 
pinnings that you're you know it's like being a satanist or something it's like you you are still defined by your opposition or something right. so it's like well yeah it's like god doesn't exist but like all hell's still around yeah because like, that's the cool badass one where all the badasses go and like god's there too because he's a shithead but like and it's like well wait do you believe in god or not or is it just a performative you are like a little bit like hurt that god didn't call you back almost kind of like idea you know what i mean like I don't know. It's a, there's a sense in which there's like a resentment. It's like going to a Harlem Globetrotters game, angrily pointing out how the whole thing is kayfabe and fake and still backing the Washington generals. Like, <laughs> like I, it's that level of just loserdom where you're just like, how do you not recognize that on every step of the way you can leave the arena and go find yeah. another source of entertainment? Um, exactly. And yeah. Yeah, and just today, I think I saw another tweet. I keep going. I, I, I shouldn't be doing these uncredited tweets. We don't have enough of an audience. I think it'll matter yet. But um, it was one <laughs> where it was some. It was a Church of Satan account. I don't think it was official, but it was some subchapter that was saying like uh, about the whole demon seed thing. This that this new COVID doctor that Trump has found. He's like, I'm tired of hearing about demons. Imagine believing in demons. How foolish is that? You know. And then someone like quote tweeted it and was like. Yeah, no, it makes a whole lot more sense to like performatively believe in the devil to upset your grandmother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. So, so exactly. to segue from that mentality, which now we're getting into, it's regressing. It's becoming more childlike. It's becoming uh, ever more teenage, and it's becoming you yeah. know uh, youthful in a way that isn't uh, isn't uh, full of the kind of youthful energy that Glaucon from our last episode. The Plato's, oh, that's yeah, Plato's brother and Socrates's um, Socrates's partner for the trip to the Piraeus, that youthful philosophical energy that Glaucon was meant to embody in his place in the narrative and his place in there, it doesn't have that. Instead, it's just more like stupidity. It's neophyte dumbness. It's just like it's a whole bunch of baby ducks trying to swim desperately against a pond full of bass fish and pike. You know, it's it's a it's an ugly scrabbling thing rather than like a thing of like impressive yeah. power and beauty. I hate that image. Just thinking about it. I don't want to bring it up again. But um, so now we're getting into a magical thing happened in the late 90s called the Internet and AOL being everywhere. And then what came from that was Internet culture. And, and just the other day, you and I were chatting and we were talking about how you had mentioned that when you were young, a big part of like performatively or maybe not even performatively but an attempt at losing one's innocence involved doing a deep dive on the internet <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean I briefly i mean so it's like yeah i was like i was homeschooled until sixth grade and then i don't know exactly what compelled me i mean there was like of multiple things I, I saw people around me that were in my kind of cohort of like homeschooler kids getting like not falling behind like intellectually but like socially just like socially cues you know yeah. or whatever or um, more susceptible to like bullying and stuff basically. And also just like, I, I had access to TV or a couple channels, you know? And so I was kind of like, I'm missing out on some kind of weird, like cultural sensitivity or cultural like awareness. I felt like, but I could, I feel like I did recognize it as being bad. And like, in a sense, I mean like that it was like, this is, it's corrupted, but I feel like I need to like see it and like be a part of it or like know what it is. So that I know what's around the corner, so to speak. And you know, I ended up moving in this, my mom and I moved, moved his uh, little grandmother unit behind this other house. And the kid who lived there was a grade below me, but he went to the same school as I did. And he was kind of more of a, a, a bad kid. He's a, he's a good guy. I know him now still, but 
but he, you know, he had an older brother and stuff like that. And so he was susceptible to these things, yeah. you know, uh, more readily. And, uh, yeah. And so, you know, I was like, yeah, it was like debauch and, you know, kind of just peer pressure kind of, you know, yeah. shenanigans and whatnot. And yeah. And going, locking the door while his mom's home and just going on the internet <laughs> and looking at porn or rot and, you know, like not really knowing what even we're finding, you know, not, I don't even know how we knew where to go or what, you know, how we were cued to any of this stuff. Isn't that strange? But, you know, and then you're like, the door knocks. Yeah, exactly. How did we know? And then the door knocks and it's like, what you, Austin, let me in, let me in. It's like, uh, just a second, you know, and it's just like the classic stupidity of it all. But, but yeah, it's a definitely, um, it's a, an initiation, like, right. In a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can totally relate to that because I had a very sim, I had a rural upbringing. And so there was dial up and, um, mm-hmm. there's things where it was like, you, you get the, the dial up experience and then the first week you just like, Oh, it's summer vacation. Parents, you know, my friend's parents aren't home where he's got the internet there. Let's look up boobs, you know? Exactly. And so you just look up boobs and then <laughs> yeah. slowly the thing unpixelates over the course of what seems like forever. And there's just pictures of boobs or you find a boob on the internet. And then yep. I don't know how it happened, but within the same summer, it's like rotten.com. Goatsy, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> like that are just yeah. like, you know, uh, decomposing corpses and bathtubs and shit. And you're just like, what? Exactly. You're like, you get the weird mix of porn and gore real early. You're like, whoa. Right. You know? I actually was thinking of, I never could find someone to buy this, but in 2002, when I was first starting out as like a, when I was really young, I think I was still, maybe still a teenager. And um, Mm -hmm. I started like submitting things to get written, uh, uh, to get to publish, pardon me, like stories that I found interesting. And I came up with one that was, uh, it was uh, the Iraq war and the skinny girl bop was the name of the article. And the article was all about how all of the gore sites, it must've been after that because it must've been 03 or later because it was when the Iraq invasion happened. So I would have been in my early twenties in New York. I got to catch myself there. Anyway, the whole, the whole thing okay. of it was, I would have been like 21, 22, somewhere around there. Our yeah. wasn't getting underway. It was after Nick Berg got beheaded. And so all these gore sites that you go to to see that also had porn ads on them. Oh, so it was God. like you're, you're being like seduced with these images of naked women and these sex acts. Right. While at the same time, looking at images of like unbelievably graphic violence violence that kind of makes you realize that like the really graphic movies like Paul Verhoeven style movies that people would watch or like slasher movies or whatever are like tame compared to what reality mm-hmm. looks like, which is by, by yeah. any example, almost cartoonishly horrible. Mm-hmm. And so, Definitely. I mean, that was one of the ideas that I had right off the bat there. And I don't, I don't think there was an appropriate place to publish that. And I don't think there was like a thing like medium where I could, <laughs> self-publish it at the time uh but those ideas did pop around in my head a lot and i know if they influenced me as like an older millennial then they could have only been several orders of magnitude more like toxic and ever present in people who are like younger on the you know from anywhere from the late 80s to early 90s born around then uh that must have just been like 
just literally like a fucking tsunami of like fucking diapers and syringes and fucking like <laughs> mixed mixed in with like unbelievably pleasant ephemeral pleasures. It would be like if you stepped on a dirty needle at a beach, but it also had a bunch of drugs in it that got you high. <laughs> yeah, well, it reminds me of those scares back, you know, the McDonald's uh, ball pits and yeah. stuff like that. You're like, don't go in there. There's diapers, needles, right. and shit. Yeah, and like, yeah, no, and uh, I mean, yeah, I guess it was interesting. So yeah, no, I had AOL was my first go in. You know, those discs you'd get, you know, and shit from the mail. It was like oh, six hundred free hours or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's and it was like yeah, the the entry. But I can only imagine how like it is for kids now. I mean. In a sense, it's for, the internet's a little more curated, but you could, which, I mean, people can find crazy weird shit very easily. As well, yeah, so. you can't. If you you can find just about anything you want to find if you're looking for it, and of course, there's yeah. more like parental controls on stuff, but that's not going to change the fact that there is this entire. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the largest generation since the baby boomers, the millennials, you know, their kids for the most part. Um, it's a huge part of our collective psyches and yeah <laughs> which i i don't know doesn't seem great <laughs> can't, can't perhaps yeah. no um and so yeah. this is when i want to get into the part of internet nihilism where we're starting to understand why there are things like uh incels and neo-nazis and like the boogaloo movement and the alt-right and all these like really horrifying and toxic uh, uh, yeah. groups. And so I was wondering if you would maybe speak a little bit on what you think about the relation. I mean, yeah, that, I can, those phenomena. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's kind of apropos of like a conversation I saw happening recently between some other people on, on Twitter. It's about that similar kind of thing, but I mean, yeah, I mean, as you know, I've like hate followed or whatever, been doing reconnaissance and reading, you know, these kinds of people for I'm mean, like 10 years, you know, so ever since I started college, because I was, I started reading Nietzsche early on and like Nietzsche kind of leads you to some weird people because like you said, there's a fascist readings. And so there's all these different, but you know, ways you can go. And so a lot of people, <clears throat> it's interesting. Cause like when we were on the internet, you know, it was like, you know, Reddit or like pre Reddit atheism style, like, being a nihilist, quote unquote, or being like an atheist or something like that was probably more of the radical position to take then, you know what I mean? Like, cause you could be like, no, actually, and you know, and that's, you know, it's like a whole internet history in itself as far as that, but like, and then that shifted, I feel like, because then that kind of um, the atheistic position of just getting your jollies out of owning people on the internet, basically an argumentation just again, leaves you empty. And I feel like we're now we're in a mode where people are uh, taking up these these mantles or these ideological positions um, that are supposed to contain a lot of meaning, you know, and supposed to really reroute them in some weird way, whether it be with, to their ethnic past or, you know, uh, some kind, you know, uh, some traditionalism, you know, basically or like esoteric traditionalism, like those those kind of schools of thought. And, uh, you know, and fancy themselves philosophers and, and then in a new way. It was a similar kind of um, symptom or archetype as the fedora-wearing atheist, but just kind of in a new a new cloak. Now they're kind of like like the Dante's Inferno, like a black, you know, uh, a hooded robe and shroud with some like, you know, esoteric symbols on him. And he's like, come this mm-hmm. way, 
we'll show you like this cool thread yeah. where I explain, you know, this esoteric symbolism. Yeah, this is trap. Cool. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And so these different versions, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't obviously put you in this category, but I mean, I mean, you're, you are somebody that's, you know, uh, I don't know how, were you baptized as a child? Uh, I was baptized as a child asking? in a transcendental cult. <laughs> to give you an idea of how, oh, okay. how long the world of like weird offshoot spiritual yearning has gone. That was, that. Yeah, that's yeah. what happened to me. But I also come from on my mom's side of the family, a French Catholic background. And, um, sure. But I mean, you're not like a trash. No, I mean, no, there's no, also no, like a no, whole I'm bunch very... of leftist people. There's a whole bunch of leftist people that are, are also like looking at Catholicism mm -hmm. again in like different angles, you know? So it's yeah. like, there's that. So that's one form of it. There's the NRX accelerationist mm -hmm. thing, which again has a kind of specific heritage, I would say, that comes from Nietzsche and Deleuze and then Nick mm -hmm. Land and that whole line of thought, right? That's about, you know, the reason we have to support capitalism is some kind of weird quasi inverted Marxist idea where it's like, or like you push it all the way to its end so it kind of self implodes or whatever, right. you know. But, but that takes on also, that can take on, you know, rightist. Um, or you know more fascistic tendencies. Well, that's or the problem. Yeah, you, um, it's yeah, no, exactly. That's, basically, because that's what they all are. They're all mini fascisms. Like I think it was Foucault has that in like the beginning, or like the forward. I think uh, you know the losers in Guattari's book or something mm -hmm. about you know the little fascist in your head kind of thing. Or you know, Thorno talks about that. And I mean. I think that that's a you know a valid enough idea. It doesn't have to be like you know like oh like you know it's like you have to excise this voice from your head per se like this real like big thing. But I do think that you, like it's easy to fall into really fascistic mm -hmm. tendencies of control and basic you know just basic things that like you know this this is a, a more like tense movement and you need to like try to find a way to make this a little yeah. more. Yeah. Uh, what 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 I'm just like like you said be in the present or fucking like get with the times and figure out how to like not revert everything yeah what, what i'm imagining is like various like a, a sort of like a dante's inferno type thing or maybe like a black philip from the witch the and uh you except you're on a message board or you're on reddit or something and it's a guy whose name is like you know uh 1488 pokemon or like the uh you know the the, the nazi mario brother or sargon of a cod and they're all just saying, what's mm -hmm. thou like to live deliciously? And instead of like, <laughs> what's thou like to taste butter? It's like, what's thou like to taste Doritos and Mountain Dew? And yeah. Um, yeah. Mountain. It's yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's like a really, yeah. And then yeah, there's, it's like a really sorry, super I mean, cheap. It's a cheap buy. It's a really cheap buy the way it was in the. No, Definitely. Definitely. And then, I mean, there's a, it's just another, to comment on another angle of it too, is like the bodybuilder, uh, very like, no, I am, I am doing self betterment. I'm getting better. I'm like, you know, that kind of an angling too. There's, which is, and these, again, these are all means to fight off nihilism yeah. or whatever the perceived threat of the nihilistic thing is, you know, that I play, like, I play Scott into because then it's like, well, then if I just get, become a nihilist, a nihilist, I'll just fucking, yeah, like, like start be all this Doritos again. I'll stop. I'll stop not no, doing the no fap right. and uh, like lifting weights or whatever, you know, cause this is making me a better right. person. It's like in what, in what sense? sense, right? <laughs> well, in the sense that you're in an ever, you're seeking that joy that those like really transitory pleasures, those really 
short-term pleasures. You're trying to stretch them out as long as possible. So you're literally turning yourself into a Skyrim character while playing Skyrim all day and working out and doing it also under like the patina of like deep, uh, like just uh, deeply internalized, like a racial, like really horrifying racial politics. And sexism is misogyny. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's the whole thing. Homophobia and all all the things that are incumbent with that type of like really shitty thinking. That's what you see when it's like, it's the, again, it's a reveal. It's like, it's like, oh, so all of that's just a bunch of bullshit. Really that you just want to say the N word or you just want to make, you know, seeing comments mm-hmm. and stuff like that and kind of like get a, like a lull or whatever, you know, into like, that's really what the point is because it's just a nihilistic like little malcontent acting out for yeah. a second to get you know it's not really about in the the pretense so again is like this whole the mind castle kind of bullshit of like well i only reason i'm trolling and don't really give a fuck is because like you know blah 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 or something you know what i mean it's like probably some rationalization you know it's like but it's because of this again like you have to self-stifle yourself because it's like you're too brilliant for the world and it's like they just can't right couldn't possibly I'm wearing the Harrison Bergeron helmet of having a steam account and no girlfriend because uh, (laughs) I cannot possibly be throwing these amazing activities out or amazing thoughts out in the world all the time or else uh, or else the world would revolt be responsible for a lot of deaths it's like the intellectual version of someone being like dude I'd like to fight you, but I got to register my hands as lethal weapons because I'm actually trained in karate. So uh, <laughs> I can't actually yeah, hit yeah. you. I mean, and Nietzsche says many of the similar things like that, you know? And it's like many people point out, like, yeah, like an incel Nietzsche kind of stuff thing. And it's like, yeah, there's like this performative, like, oh, like, ah, you dude, I'm going to blow shit up. <laughs> you know, like, that's like the whole, yeah, Eki Homo is like great in that sense where it's like all the chapters are like, why I'm so clever, why I am dynamite. Mm-hmm why I have the best ideas or just like, they're just insane. Why, why, I mean, why I take I it sit on my joke. hand for an hour and a half and then masturbate with that hand. It's technically gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And then like, yeah, a couple of years later, Nietzsche supposedly in like Jenna or whatever, or in like the hospital and like shitting and screaming and eating uh-huh. some piss and, you know, just like going just bonkers, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what I was joking about in the last episode, the Eke no homo thing. It's, um, and, yeah, and no, much exactly. like the last episode, it's that second chapter from the Book of Wisdom where it says the wicked reject immortality and justice alike, where you basically see a series of what seem like virtuous behaviors slowly get replaced by people essentially just uh, let us oppress the needy just man, let us neither spare the widow, nor revere the old man for his hair grown white with time, but let our strength be our norm of justice for weakness prove itself useless. Yeah. So that's super, super fucking nihilistic <laughs> shit. And this is these are the behaviors of wicked people. And this is this is not in the New Testament, this is the Old Testament. So this is something that really goes to the Judeo side of things. And and like I mentioned, because it is talking about the concept of justice in a way that can be seen through a, a Platonic or uh Socrates Socratean lens, um mm-hmm. it also has a Greek thing too. And and again, that's why it, earlier on, I mentioned that the ideas from the past that seem like the most valuable to embrace or at least learn about, you don't have to fully embrace them, at least learn about them, are the ones that have the most resonance with modern society, not the ones that put you at most at odds with it, the ones that actually help you understand modern society better. So yeah. the fact that there's something in the Book of Wisdom that sort of is pretty good at explaining like 
what like alt-right shit posters or like fucking like toxic internet culture types are going to be like is kind of miraculous you know it's kind of exciting to imagine that it's something uh, mm-hmm. undeniable yeah no i mean and again it's like i feel like whenever i'm engaging or starting to engage or on the internet in too much of a way or i'm just like thinking about the time spent it's like what are you really just doing you know what i mean like, yeah with your time and you're like you're just you know you could just be doing something else and you you know, typically, most of the time, you know, it's just like, yeah. yeah, and there is a there is the notion, too, that you do have to be doing something that, that, that <laughs> right. it isn't it can't just be yeah, do uh, doing not spewing. You can't just be throwing this shit out there. You have to actually act on it. But of course, that's the dangerous thing, too, because if the wrong person gets the idea that action is actually a virtue and a sublime thing and the action that they choose is to drive their car into like a sorority picnic and then shoot a bunch of people then clearly that is not a good use of one's ideological action so yeah no i know i I feel like those are like yeah no i mean like if those cases are ever justified it's like or they the, the, the attempts of justifying are either uh fuck you all because you didn't you know see me kind of thing or uh yeah, or there's a sense of like the like a like a, a just retaliation, like yeah. you're saying, you know, and and it begins with a lot of resentment. It begins with the funny thing is, it, you can have a lot of people who have weird religious shtick to them, like trad cats or like a really bizarre a really uh-huh. bizarre creep like Ben Shapiro, right? Uh, who is like considers himself like an orthodox or ultra orthodox uh, practitioner of Judaism. Um, and then you, you can see them influence like like spree murderers and mosque killers, you know, uh, people. And mm-hmm. the amount of times that Ben Shapiro gets mentioned in like some sort of internet history or manifesto of someone who's gone and fucking done something brutal like that is is shocking. Or like that guy who shot up the mosque in um, New Zealand and, and was like, did a shout out to PewDiePie before he did it. And then he live streamed the whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It, that's the yeah problem is like the attraction to action the attraction to being active um it 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 cuts amongst the the virtuous and the evil uh back to back and it's just the question whether mm-hmm. you're going to be pulled into like this nihilist web and, and you know for somebody who tries to claim the moral high ground all the time like ben shapiro and claims that he's practicing like a deep and ancient faith he sure is influencing a lot of people who are essentially modern nihilists who would love to see him go up and smoke if it bothered if they bothered them you know if it if they could get a thrill out of it you know certainly yeah i mean him being jewish i mean most of these people uh like usually whether or not crypto or explicitly anti-semitic in some form or another so yeah (laughs) I have probably no no problem turning on him pretty quick. Right. And it, it is the notion of tokenism too, because like that's the language that a lot of these people speak, you know. Um I, I yeah. know that what nihilism I had when I was in my twenties, a lot of it was fueled by like reading the do's and don'ts in Vice magazine and laughing at it because I thought it was legitimately funny, which some of them were. But like that shit was written by a guy mm-hmm. who has turned out to be like one of the biggest just like fucking right wing creeps. Like just I mean, there's no other word for it. Like <clears throat> He's yeah, just totally. a huge creep. And like, he always tries to like cloak himself with like the gay people who are like art, like Milo Yiannopoulos or 
mm-hmm. or uh, I think he's got some Asian guy on one of his programs that works for him or something. And, and it's like he's cloaking himself with this yeah. thing, like, no, we're not, we're not racist. And then he just fucking says and does racist shit all the time. And beyond that, is like brutally like into class hierarchy. You know, is brutally into like, yeah, you're good at something or you're a loser and you need to give me my hamburger and then live a life of economic immiseration and, and lack of dignity. And it's like, you're just a fucking prick and you're just some fucking Canadian prick who started this whole thing in like, you know, gov- with government money. It's like, it, it's literally just the toxic weed that grows out of like a fairly fertile, yeah. like, you know, landscape. Yeah, it's yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was such an interesting time when all that rolled out as far as the media, you know, like what's they say with Milo and yeah, Gavin was speaking like the turn, so to speak, or like, you know, former vice, so you know, kind of mm-hmm. it was like a betrayal in the sense of like hipsterdom or yeah. that, you know, that was a very weird time in a sense of like, well, wait, are alternative ideas bad? You know, like or you're not like explicitly saying that or even maybe like even trying to, but like in a sense that kind of was like a a weird, I don't know, it called them to question a lot of things because it was kind of like, well, this is like a guy former the advice and vice at that time was kind of like representing, you know, this kind of alternative, like you say, humor, social commentary stuff, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Pre all of the kind of like, again, the, like the resurgence of the culture war kind of yeah. mentality that all of those people basically were like, oh, actually, I was going to put my like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my horse in that race. <laughs> in the culture war is because that's how we could like really get viewers yeah, basically, and, or whatever you know i feel like a lot yeah. of it is that cynical it was the, yeah. it was also the birth of like a performative contrarian behavior and just like totally. lit, lit my balls yeah. on fire while like zig heiling at a fucking stereo lab show you know, or yeah. whatever it's like just fucking deranged yeah. yeah oh i went i went out and deliberately got gonorrhea and wrote an article about it it was just like <laughs> yeah right um guy gonzo perversity just, yeah. yeah so I, I feel like we've gone through three <clears throat> different major stages of uh nihilism in an attempt to understand it better um my last bit yeah. i want to address before we log off is uh what do we do i mean because all this seems like an age this what we were just talking about seems like a- ages ago compared to what's currently happening in the world right now which is this is just such a fucking insane period of time to be alive uh this year yeah. so my, I, yeah, I just totally. want to say, ask you what you want to do to combat, you know, the effects of nihilism or if you think it's worth combating. And I would mention that my best advice for combating nihilism in as much as it's something that needs to be recognized or approached is to ask yourself whether the actions that you're taking are benefiting as many people as they possibly can and, and or whether it's all simply to prop up your own self-opinion and whether your self-opinion should be built upon uh, you know, your opinion of self, uh, rather, should be built upon um, this m- maybe completely delusional sense of, like, uh, grandness and, and, like, ability and, and uh, you know, superiority in some sort of hierarchy. I would suggest that the best way to defeat that, that, that's, that concept of just, like, pure, like, nihilistic modern horror is to reject the notion of hierarchy and, and embrace the notion of uh, community and solidarity. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, uh, hmm. yeah, I mean, as far as the ways to combat it, I mean, 
I just try to learn about a lot of different things and just, I, you know, it's like I try to just fictionalize, not fictionalize my life, but you know what I mean? Like in a sense, I, like, like, like you're saying, things are so weird right now. It's like kind of like, rea- like reality stranger than a fiction. And so like everything that's going on is kind of exciting and weird. And like I can read enough into things to not be nihilistic really about much of anything, you know? And I don't know. I'm not, yeah. It's kind of like I've, whether through, you know, psychedelics or whatever, and just like kind of over time, kind of like, you know, was able to kind of make a, develop meaning for my, at least my own life, you know, I guess in, in a way it's hard to, it's hard to give advice to other people in terms of it. Cause it's like, you know, don't, don't, don't everyone has their own path. The opportunities, but it's just like, it depends how you incorporate things and stuff like that into your life or whatever. But I mean, a big thing that people do a lot now is just like, that I think is really unbeneficial and it, it keeps you, hooked into the, the machine so to speak is like just constantly defining yourself in the eyes of the other and that other being like your enemy yeah you know basically and that like this unreconcilability and i understand that there are deep unreconcilable issues in the world but i also feel like a lot of the performative aspects that come into that that aren't co- contributing to the actual like undoing or fixing of anything you know could be could be dialed back <laughs> or like it would be helpful if it could be d- done done in such a way where people were able to not even to make their own meaning for themselves and define themselves or whatever sure. but just you know not always set up their identity as being like you say this contrarian whether it be in any, any direction you know what i mean we're just like searching out whatever outrages you and makes you the most upset so that that's the thing that you become kind of defined by and I mean, yeah, the left is all. You know, there's there's val- there's valiance. It's kind of one of those things where it's a virtue on, on the one hand, but it can be taken to being a point of vice. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there's the left seems to be really good at sort of like atomizing and over defining things until you just get into like a rut of just pure uselessness. But um, mm-hmm. certainly, what I would recommend too is to uh, turn back from the ego, right? but not go so deep into ego death that you just become like someone who's in the toilet at the festival. Like don't go festy ego death. (laughs) Basically turn enough away from the ego that you're useful to other people, but not so much that you are no longer useful to yourself and the world at large. And that is probably the rarefied air that we should all be shooting for in a time of pretty fucking wild uh, tension. Yep. I think that's a good way to put it. Right. I've got images of Reggae on the river and just the, all of the lines. And just yeah. The, the porta potties. Exactly. Be the person who helps the overheated person find water. Don't be the person who ends up in the toilet. <laughs> like literally just like right, so right, high right. that you're just like, I can touch this. I don't, don't end up being the person that's just like, you know, just jacking off while fucking steel poles play in the background. <laughs> you know, <laughs> save yep. yourself yep. and others from that terrible indignity. Exactly. It's yeah. Exactly. That's what it is. It's always indignity and hubristic and just embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that's a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call. All right, man. Well, uh, catch us. Thanks soon. again. Yeah. See, see you on the flip side, man. All right. Take care. I should get-